Kim Sujawalski, and I'm your host here at the Brownwell Podcast, a place in which every week we talk about delicious food, about making more vegan choices no matter where you are along the way. And because food is never just about the food, I'll support and guide you to a happier, kinder, and more mindful relationship with that wonderful moment of eating. Are you ready? Lace up those trainers if you're going for a walk or grab a cup of coffee, get comfy on the couch, and listen in. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Bramwell Podcast. I am so pleased and excited to introduce you to our very special guest in today's show, chef, cookbook author of the book Practically Vegan, and registered dietitian nutritionist Nisha Milvani, who you might know on Instagram and Facebook as at Cooking for Peanuts, where she has a massive, massive community and following and inspires everyone with her delicious meals and recipes. In today's episode, we talk about how her multicultural upbringing influenced her cooking, her career path, how motherhood changed her experience in the kitchen, and of course, the experience of writing and publishing her very popular cookbook, Practically Vegan, More Than 100 Easy Delicious Vegan Dinners on a Budget. Nisha comes bearing so many tips when it comes to welcoming non-vegans to the fold and inspiring people to take it one meal at a time, tips for new moms and seasoned moms when it comes to feeding lots of new foods to their little ones, as well as how to inspire teenagers to get excited about cooking and putting together a meal. She tells us the unusual way her cookbook came to be. And here, semi-spoiler alert, it involves Jonathan Safran Foer, one of my favorite writers, giving an irresistible suggestion. And if you've been dreaming of writing a cookbook of your own, of starting your own food business, of growing a social media following, she gives some very specific tips you won't want to miss. Nisha Milvani is a registered dietitian nutritionist with a master's degree in nutrition from Columbia University. She is a cookbook author of the book Practically Vegan, a graduate of Natural Gourmet Culinary School, and the mom of three teenage girls. You can find her on her blog at cookingforpeanuts.com through her Instagram at cookingforpeanuts, her Facebook page, which is also Cooking for Peanuts, and get her book wherever books are sold. And you are going to have all of those links as always in the show notes. We'll get to this very special interview with Nisha in a moment, but first here's a note from our sponsor for today's show. Today's episode of the podcast is sponsored by Green and Experience, a wonderful Etsy shop selling the most amazing products for a safe and plant-based alternative to doing laundry. Stop using dryer sheets and liquid fabric softeners and stop using wool or plastic dryer balls. As our listeners know, both Gatos and I put so much effort into incorporating more zero-waste products into our cleaning and self-care routines and especially trying to incorporate more products that are made from natural ingredients, skipping the chemicals that can come in so many mass-produced cleaning products and beauty products and that are in contact with our precious skin and can also get in the water supply and be harmful to the environment and animals. Laundry detergents, dryer sheets, and fabric softeners are huge sources of these problems and can even contain animal products like wool and animal fats. And using plastic dryer balls is another source of environmental damage. 
I, for one, stopped buying fabric softener years ago and could only find a replacement for natural laundry detergents, but softeners were so much harder to get. But now I'm so excited to have discovered the handmade hemp dryer balls created by Green and Experience. All the goodness and benefits of the raw hemp in a dryer ball, all natural, reusable, plant-based, non-toxic, antibacterial, hypoallergenic, organic, and safe to use for babies, infants, pets, and you know how much I care about my fur babies and people with sensitive skin. Order them today on Etsy.com by visiting their shop, Green and Experience, all one word, or use the link you'll find right here in your podcast player and in the show notes and have them shipped right to your door. Get 10% off with the limited time promo code BROWNBOLT10, all in all caps. That's promo code BROWNBOLT10 for 10% off. Order them for your family and find peace of mind. Nisha, welcome to the show. It is such an honor to have you here. And this is a very special day for me because you are the very first book author on the show. And our listeners know how much I love books of all kinds. This is a very special treat. I feel so honored, Kim. I didn't know that. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you for having me. I'm, so, I'm really excited to be here and to meet you. Oh, I'm, I'm so glad to have you. I, we're going to talk about your incredible book a little further along in the interview, but I have to say up front that last night I made your rigatoni alla vodka and it was mind-blowing. We enjoyed Aww. it so much that we had the leftovers again for lunch today. It was just beyond delicious. So I'm very excited to introduce everybody to your cookbook. I hope everyone runs to get it. That, that makes me so happy to hear that. It was just so delicious and, and your book is just beautiful, but we'll get into that. I always love to start our interviews by asking you and asking our guests about their past with food and with cooking, because I think that so much of the recipes and the creations we make today, the way we eat today, it has uh, these very strong origins most of the time in our childhood. And I'm just, you have a very interesting story, lots of different cultures kind of bubbling together. It's the same uh, case with uh, me. I have family from all over. And I just wanted to ask you to give us just the, the inside scoop of what that past experience with food was like for you. Sure. Um, you know, I'm of Indian descent, born and raised in Jamaica, and I went to English boarding school at age seven. So I was exposed to a vast array of different foods on any one day. <laughs> um, wow. And for example, let's say in my childhood in Jamaica, breakfast might be a bowl of fresh mango, watermelon, papaya with some cornmeal porridge infused with nutmeg and cinnamon, or it might be a plate of ackee and saltfish with fried plantains. And then lunch might be, you know, a can of Chef Boyardee ravioli and <laughs> then dinner, curried goat with roti. So <laughs> it was very diverse. Yes, very diverse. That's that breakfast you mentioned with the mango and the and the porridge. That sounds d divine. <laughs> Still a fan of that one. <laughs> Such an interesting mix. So raised in Jamaica. Yes, in the island. And uh, yes, um, there is somebody in your past, somebody named Paulette. Yes. <laughs> that I want you to talk about. So Paulette um, is no longer with us. Um, yeah, oh. she passed away. But she 
is uh, she was a force, a real force, but I think I was a bigger force was the problem. <laughs> she couldn't control me very easily. And um, <laughs> she was sort of like a second mom to me. And, you know, she, being Jamaican, introduced me to a lot of really Jamaican foods. Um, and I actually used to watch her make food and cook alongside with her. I loved to cook since I was seven, at least. Like, I remember making full-fledged pizza at seven, crust from scratch, everything. I just loved the kitchen. And wow. my parents were never home. So I spent, you know, my days mostly with her if I wasn't at school. And she taught me a lot about the kitchen because, you know, and they they cook everything from scratch there at that time, you know, in those days. Mm-hmm. So That sounds wonderful to have an influence like that. I certainly had a few of those in my past. And it's incredible how at such a young age, it just seeing somebody love food and love ingredients, it, it affects you. It, it, it changes your, it changes everything when it comes to food. Uh, did your parents cook at all? Did you see them cook or were they absolute non cooks at home? So my mom rarely enters the kitchen (laughs) Um, to this day. She, She's a career woman, but not in the, she yeah despises the kitchen pretty much. Um, my dad is able to cook if he wants to, but he works and they're, they're very different when it comes to their relationship with food. My dad is very much a naturalist. He loves fruit, loves vegetables, loves, you know, everything really eats bananas with the peel on, which is crazy. Jamaican bananas are softer. They are a little softer, he reminds me. (laughs) But, you know, no need to peel it, even though I say it's called a peel for a reason. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) And my mom is um, sort of disinterested in food in a way. She eats to stay alive, I would say, and um, loves Spam. Spam is her favorite food. She has no problem eating processed food, hates fruit and vegetable, and... So what it allows is for me to appreciate um, that people really have different food stories and it's okay, you know, just to embrace it all. I love that. You went to England at a very young age. Did the food choices at boarding school influence you in any way? Is there a story there behind English traditions and food for you? So they're very big on organ meats. At least they were. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes. I remember this from the first time I went to England. The steak and kidney pies and all exactly. of that. Yeah. And haggis, which... Not 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 easy for a seven-year-old, I'm definitely sure. Definitely not. I did not ask too many questions. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, st- I remember haggis being a Scottish delicacy, which we were served. It's like a pudding made of liver, heart, and lungs. I found that out later. I didn't really know what I was eating. We, we weren't really allowed to ask too many questions, quite honestly. Um, it was a very different culturally then. And we um, had to eat everything, except we were allowed to be excused two foods, and you would have to write a letter. Um, your parents would have to write a letter and say that you were allowed to not eat those foods. So mine were beets and Brussels sprouts. <laughs> Because they cooked vegetables. <laughs> you sound like my husband. <laughs> <laughs> they really just made everything mushy. It was terrible. You know, yeah. it's like they just left it cooking and forgot. I don't know. <laughs> so it's definitely, you know, it made me very determined to make vegetables taste good because I know that was a very ill representation of what vegetables, what their potential was. 
Yeah, I think many of us have that experience of poorly cooked vegetables, barely any seasoning, and no wonder we're not excited about them, let alone imagine that we could have a whole meal based on them. That's unimaginable if if you've co- if you've eaten vegetables that are cooked this way. Oh my gosh. So you have you have another culture that really influenced your love of food when you went to college, is that right? Yes, so I sort of sporadically, I ended up in Montreal on a whim, um, had no idea what the culture was uh, or how cold it was. And um, I was fortunate because it was, you know, very gastronomique and the food was incredible. And so I would save up money so I could afford to eat in those French, you know, restaurants and just would try and mimic those amazing meals in my own, you know, dorm kitchen or when I rented an apartment eventually. So that was fun. And definitely, you know, I had more diversity to my palate from living there. French food will do that to you. It is uh, one of those, um, just just one of those cuisines that is, uh, that you can learn so much from in terms of combinations of ingredients, flavors. It's It's a beautiful cuisine. Now, you have an approach that I appreciate so much, and we have that approach as well. And it's that you write in your book uh, to all eaters, not only vegans, not only plant-based eaters, but you you openly talk about people who still eat meat, who still eat fish, and welcoming them um, and, and, and sharing your recipes in that way with them. You know, I have so many friends and, and family who love the food that I cook, but they're meat eaters. And so they feel that there's this sort of wall or barrier between them and the vegan restaurants and them and the vegan stores and some of the vegan ingredients. Like if, unless they are vegan, that's not a space for them. And I always try to encourage them. I give them recipes. And I say, listen, you can buy this in this market and you can get this here. And I just try to show them that anybody can cook in this way. Vegan food is not just for vegans. But I wanted to ask you because I thought that was lovely in your book. How do you approach this so that everybody feels welcome? Yes. So that's why I wrote a dinner cookbook. I think that was a big part of it because it was like, why don't we start a you know, trying to make our dinners more vegan or more plant-based. That's a meal. I think most people, it's probably cooked more than lunch where you're usually out or at work. Um, And so I feel like it's also a meal you might come together as a family and, you know, take the time to enjoy it. So I felt it was nice to just do dinners. It sort of simplified things that, you know, welcomed everyone. And it was just, um, to me, a natural uh, place to focus on. I also made the recipes in the book very easy so they could be, a, you know, beginners who've never eaten vegan food, never experimented with that before, um, or someone very experienced who just wants new ideas or just some better organization of how to make their weekly cooking easier. Um, and I think um, that's why having Jonathan be a part of the book was huge because, you know, he actually approached me and said, if you write this book, I will write your foreword. And I had just read his book, We Are the Weather. So I knew he was a, took a very similar approach and like, we're not perfect. And, you know, self-loathing isn't good. So 
um, just forgive yourself, start where you are and just, you know, here, it's a journey. It's, it's a journey. Just try Here's a, you know, incorporate more of that, be more mindful about it. I love that. And I hadn't, I, I had noticed that your cookbook was focused on dinner. And I, I found that wonderful because I do know from our students that dinner is the thing they struggle with the most, especially when they have a mixed eating household. But I hadn't realized that this is one of the reasons that it is in fact to make you feel that you can start with one meal and see how that goes and just start experimenting with that. Uh, we are definitely going to talk about Jonathan in a moment. But first, I wanted to ask you something. Uh, cooking is your, it wasn't your first career. It wasn't mine either. And for so many of us, I find that that is the case, that uh, for some reason, we don't, most of us don't, we have a love of food, and we don't think of making food our sort of, our choice of studies when we are, of course, we're meant to decide this when we're teenagers and what do we know then, right? But uh, it's it's interesting to me that I have I know so many incredible chefs that have started this later in life. Can you tell us a little bit about the story of of your career, how it sort of developed? Yes, it's an interesting that you say that. I remember we had home ec classes in boarding school when I was 11 and we learned how to make traffic light sandwiches. I still remember that where you pierce, you know, the three using an apple core or something, you pierce the three holes and you had a red tomato showing lettuce. I've never heard <laughs> so, of that. I have never heard of that. That sounds incredibly fun for kids. <laughs> I forgot about that. When you mentioned that, I was suddenly like, oh, I remember that class. Um, but that was just like two years of um, that course and they discontinued it. And I actually really wanted to be a doctor and that was my dream. And I still have some regrets around it, but this um, is a close second. So, <laughs> and I, in college I was doing pre-med and I sort of changed course. I became distracted and I wanted to move to New York city. And someone said to me, the best way to get to New York City is to work for an investment bank because they'll pay for you to move there. And I was like, really? So I switched into economics. I had a double major. I had biology and economics. And I did get a job at investment banking. And they did pay for me to move to New York City. And totally wrong career. Very poorly thought out decision. <laughs> but, you know, it worked out because I did get to move here. And um a year into that, I realized this is not where I wanted to be at all. I was the only woman in my group and I really, it just wasn't the right career for me. So I went into teaching second grade for a year at a New York City private school. Um, I loved that. I knew I wanted to be in education, but I love chemistry and I love food. You know, those are my passions. So nutrition education just seemed like the perfect fit. So I went on to do my master's at Columbia in that degree. This is such an interesting journey. And I love this. I did not know that if you became an, uh, that if you went into investment banking, that they would move you to New York. Uh, but I'm, I'm glad they did because you also went to culinary school in New York. I find this fascinating that you have this sort of double whammy of going to culinary school and having your master's in, in dietetics. It's the perfect pairing, especially... Uh, for vegan cooking, I think it's wonderful. I'm sure I won't be the only one to tell you that uh, we're glad that 
although med school was something that that you had your heart set on, that you went down this path. Uh, your recipes are incredible. You've inspired so many people. It's it's very special. Thank you. Kim. I think that dietetics also is is very much applied medicine in a way, and it's very also practical. Uh, I, I I love it. That's wonderful. I think, you know, doctors have so much already on their plate in what they're doing that they don't tend to have a lot of time to really focus on nutrition. Yep. And their nutrition advice isn't the best, oftentimes, honestly. And so I think we are needed um, as a separate entity. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And people don't. I've had I've been inviting a lot of dietitians into the podcast recently because I want people to know what they can expect when they go to a dietitian's office, because many people don't realize that it is such a practical, um, sort of helpful approach when you've struggled with food, when you've had a, a messy past with food, when you're trying to, you know, eat for health, but also for your peace of mind and for enjoyment and for pleasure and for family connections. And dietitians help you with so many different areas um, from shopping to prepping tips and cooking tips. And they, they uh, even help in, in some cases with body image and working all, with all of these things. It's, it's a very unique career that I am very happy and, and uh, just thrilled to shed some light on. I admire dietitians very much. Thank you. And I think it's been great for having kids and a family because I've really been able to guide them as well. You know, in the, and having three daughters, you know, you have to be very mindful about like their food journey too. Yeah. Speaking of motherhood, am I correct in reading that you had three daughters in three and a half years? Is that right? It's a bit crazy, right? <laughs> that is, uh, first of all, it's admirable because uh, it's just, it's, it's really incredible. Is that, is that right? Did I get that number right? It is right. <laughs> I don't like to think about it too much, but yes. <laughs> wow. Um, so they are now, are all of them teenagers at this point? So 17, I always forget their ages, I'm terrible. 17, one is turning 16 very soon and one is... Um, 14. That's lovely. Are they the beautiful uh, young teens that appear in the pictures of your cookbook? They are. Um, you know, they can also be trouble. But <laughs> <laughs> overall, I'd say we're a, we're a tight unit, you know? Uh, I, I, I loved... I love it when uh, chefs include a little bit of the family life in the photos of their cookbooks. It just makes you just relate to them so much more. And the photos in the book are, are beautiful. And we'll get to that in a second. But I wanted to ask you about motherhood and how that changed or affected the, your cooking and your approach to food in, in general. Sure. And I think um, it made me very practical. Hence the title of the book, Practically Vegan. Um, I did not short order cook. They knew that um, every night wasn't going to be their favorite meal, but their favorite meal would pop up very regularly. So they also had to accommodate others' favorites because, you know, yeah. one thing I've really learned is people really have different taste preferences. And so one likes sweet potatoes or slightly sweet foods, one hates sweet foods or hates cooked peppers or, but, you know, 
I would do my best to accommodate if it was easy, but I wasn't going to prepare a whole separate meal. And so they knew that and it taught them to be um, more experimental and just, you know, in social settings now, they're not picky because they had to accommodate others. You know, having two other sisters, you learn to accommodate. So I think that's great for them. And it also, um, it I was inspired to, you know, you can't add too many new things when you're having kids. You You sort of have to do it little by little. And I think it's important to include their favorites as well, things they're successful with. So when they look at the meal, they're not like, oh my gosh, I don't like any of this. What am I going to do? And it sort of creates a little bit of anxiety. Um, so I think what I learned to do is have things they're familiar with. And I know that they, they're going to be successful and, and eat as well as add new things slowly and regularly. So they would try them. That's a, a, a wonderful tip. I love that idea of the familiar plus a little something new or a little something that's challenging just to, to get habituated to the tastes and, and all of that. That's wonderful. Uh, did it change the way you viewed food and eating in general, just in, in a more, I don't know, spiritual or, or in terms of the meaning, you know, having to feed these, these little ones that just came from you? It must be very, very special when cooking is your passion. You know, I think because as coming from it as a dietitian, you know, you don't talk about things like calories and you don't talk about the numbers related to the food, it's just the food. And you, you know, you eat till you are almost full. You know, there it's, I don't, I don't measure a lot, you know, even actually cooking now, I don't need to measure physically a lot either. And so it really is just about the food. And I sort of took the number part out of that, even as a nutrition who's trained in the numbers. I love that. I find that incredibly helpful. It's definitely... Uh, our philosophy as well. Uh, I love that. Do you have any specific tips for anybody who is veg curious, but isn't ready to go all the way there? I think it's important to um, have tools on hand. So, you know, it doesn't have to be an exhaustive list. Let's say in my cookbook, I talk a lot about this. You know, it's a dedicated section to what herbs and seasonings, you know, just keep those on hand, what condiments and, you know, basic kitchen equipment that makes it much easier to cook in this style. And then you can sort of be flexible. And when you go and buy those vegetables or beans or, you know, the whole foods that, you know, from the, your grocery store that week, you have the ability to, on a whim, decide, oh, I think I'm going to use this vegetable and try these condiments and incorporate that into my dish. Or, you know, it just gives you that flexibility when you already have those basic things that you need. So um, you can sort of just be experimental and creative and you don't have to say, I'm going to eat this full plant-based meal tonight, but I need to go get all this stuff. It's like, you know, I feel like eating those Brussels sprouts I bought. Let me see what I have, you know? So I like just to keep those, you know, just a basic list of things on hand so you can be impulsive like that. I love that. And I I find that uh, my way of getting inspiration as well. Sometimes I will just go to the farmer's market. I will see what looks good. I will buy it without a clear idea of what I'm making. But I find that it there's there comes a day when I open the fridge and I see them and an idea just pops into my head. And and that's a that's a 
it's a nice way to do it because it doesn't feel forced. It feels like inspiration is guiding you and you're not trying to push it into the plate. Uh, that, that makes total sense. To be honest, I never know what I'm cooking. I never, <laughs> on any given day now, this is before it was harder. I, when you're starting out, it is helpful to have a sort of plan, you know, when you're new to this. And I think in the initial stages, it's nice to go to recipes, which is why with the cookbook, I talk about the fact that once you make these recipes in this book enough times, you will be that person who can just open your fridge and decide I'm going to use those vegetables. And I've learned enough to just sort of wing it with the stuff Nisha told me to keep in my pantry, you know? So, you know, at this point in my life, I don't, ever look at a recipe and I'd never know what I'm making at lunchtime. It's like at four o'clock when I'm like, oh, what do I have? Oh, I feel like doing this today. And and you will get there. It's not because I'm a better cook than you. I just have experience. I've done it enough, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What about any tips for people who are vegan and maybe are feeling a little bit a little bit bored with the meals they're having. They're always cooking the same things. They sort of need a little bit of a makeover when it comes to the meals they're preparing. Any tips for them? So while I don't, um, you know, I'm not a proponent of social media. My kids don't even have social media. I will say that I find it incredibly helpful to, as a tool for getting inspiration. I'm very sort of strict about how I use it personally. And that when I started on Instagram, I made the decision I was only going to follow food accounts that were related to what I do. And I wasn't going to follow friends or family or turn this into social. It was strictly work. And I, so all I see all day on Instagram are vegan food items or food items in general, um, cooking videos, because that's what I'm using it for. So I think it is very inspiring to see what's going on out there. Cause you learn a lot of new things or on TikTok, but, um, you know, you just, yeah, I think there's a lot of good ideas yeah. that come out of it. Uh, I, I happen to agree with you. TikTok has been very big on, I, I think it is very inspirational. You're seeing a lot of people just preparing things in their kitchen without much setup and you get a lot of ideas there. It has been, uh, I, I'm new to TikTok, but it, it has been interesting. Me too, by the way, I'm new too. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a quick ad break and we'll get right back to our conversation with Nisha. Looking for a vegan, cruelty-free, and non-toxic way to do laundry? I'm so excited to have partnered up with today's sponsor for the podcast, Green and Experience. You have no idea how many brand requests we get for sponsorships of the podcast, you guys. And sadly, it is rare that brands or companies align with our values at Bramble, and we say no to most sponsorships because of it. So I got so excited when I saw the chance to help promote a vegan and environmentally conscious small business, especially when I'm looking for ethical and safe personal care products and especially cleaning products for my home. Introducing their reusable, handmade, non-toxic, organic, and zero-waste dryer balls. They are not only beautiful to look at and impeccably packaged and designed, but they are antibacterial, hypoallergenic, safe for babies, infants, pets, and people with sensitive skin. Just in case you're new to using dryer balls, they are wonderful to pop in your dryer with your clothes, preventing laundry from clumping together 
as the balls tumble along with your laundry, reducing drying time, fighting wrinkles in your clothes, preventing static, and more importantly, giving your clothes, sheets, and towels a wonderful soft feel and skipping the chemicals and pollutants found in commercial dryer sheets and fabric softeners. It is the perfect reusable, kind, vegan, and environmentally safe alternative to doing laundry. Order them today and have them shipped right to your door and get 10% off with a limited time promo code BROWNBOLL10, all in all caps. That's BROWNBOLL10 for 10% off. Shop at Green and Experience, one word, on Etsy.com or use the link you'll find in your podcast player and in the show notes. Um, so we were talking about your your lovely teens. Any tips for getting teenagers more involved in the cooking process or more excited about cooking? So in my experience, what I've seen is it's sort of genetic, whether you like to cook <laughs> or not. I don't know if that's true. Maybe. If you took a large study. It could be. <laughs> I come from a huge family of foodies and cooking enthusiasts. So yeah, could be. So, you know, you have my mom who hates to cook and me who loves to cook. So um, that's not so genetic, but maybe I got it from my dad. (laughs) As for my three kids, the youngest is a very good cook, a very good baker and loves to do it. My eldest hates the kitchen. It's like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do in college when you're not looking after me anymore? (laughs) I'm like, well, why don't you learn from me before you leave? Now figure it out, you know. So I know I did the same thing with all three. The middle is sort of in the middle, but um, as far as uh, cooking, I feel I don't push them, but I keep a lot of things on hand that they can do themselves. I think having a stocked house. So, you know, if they come home and do decide, I want to make, you know, this sandwich with these vegetables or this, if you even like had, you know, marinated pieces of tofu ready, or, you know, just had basic sort of prepped in the fridge, they could make themselves a tofu sandwich, slice some avocado. So I think once it's just there, they can also be creative and, you know, decide I'm going to make the sandwich. I'll use this. Oh, mom has cut some of this up or this is, you know, and I think just having that available in your house, they're going to be much more likely to sit and create something with it. I love that. Let's talk about your incredible book. And I have to give a huge shout out to your publisher, Rodale Books, which is an imprint of Penguin Random House, because they sent me the book. It is not only stunning in terms of the photographs, you've got so many beautiful pictures of the food. And uh, just it's just a beautifully edited cookbook. But uh, you did such a wonderful just a wonderful job. I, I found it very inspirational. I found the recipes super creative. Uh, and I have a lot of things I want to talk about when it comes to the cookbook, but I do need to ask you a very selfish question. And you mentioned Jonathan before, and I need to ask you, because if there is one thing that I love, uh, you know, possibly, let's say the same, the same as cooking, it's reading and writing. <laughs> and I love uh, Jonathan Safran Foer. I'm a huge fan. His book, Eating Animals, was just uh, such an important part of my journey into becoming vegan. I went vegan for animal rights reasons and environmental reasons, and he was one of those uh, just key inspirations when when I made that choice. And I have to ask you, what was it like 
to have him write the foreword for your book, which is, by the way, a lovely text. It's beautiful. It is lovely. What he wrote is really lovely and so generous, too. And I never wanted to write a cookbook, Kim. It was definitely not on my bucket list. Really? Um, yes. <laughs> and Jonathan, his eldest son, is in school with my second daughter. Mm-hmm. And he actually likes to cook vegan food. And so, you know, somehow he found out about my Instagram and he was cooking things from it or, you know, using it. And, and he introduced it you know, to his dad. And so that's how Jonathan got to know me. And I had read his book at the time too, one of his books. And so um, I realized, you know, we really had a similar uh, belief with food and introducing people to, you know, the plant-based world. And he said to me, you know, if you write a cookbook, I'll write the foreword. And then I was like, oh, you have to do it if that happens in your life if someone if someone like Jonathan approaches you like that you've got no choice (laughs) right that's why the cookbook is here today (laughs) well thank you Jonathan on behalf of everyone who will be making these delicious recipes now Nisha tell us uh tell us about your book what can people find in it so you know it is for beginner cooks experienced cooks vegans non-vegans everyone really. And it's um, all budget-friendly recipes. I think there is this belief that eating vegan has to be expensive. It really doesn't. Um, Going back to whole foods, very, you know, easy, easy to make and not too many condiments needed. They get used over and over again. I don't like to be wasteful. So all the spices, herbs, and, you know, condiments and you're buying to make this book the shelf stables you're going to use them over and over again in these recipes they're not going to gather dust and um i think it's just a very accessible cookbook there's a whole section on sauces and dips which is amazing because that is like a game changer with you know making your own meals at home and there's you know full dinner recipes otherwise there's protein sides if you're just looking for what protein to add what plant-based protein to add to your meal veggie sides or starchy sides. So I think it's just a very user-friendly book. And what I've heard from a lot of people is it's really helped them in their cooking journey. It's fantastic. Like I told you and, and everybody at the at the start of the show, I made one of your recipes last night. And to me, it is such a treat when I can, it's actually a relaxing experience for me when I can cook somebody else's recipe and just relax and measure out ingredients that I'm not testing for, for our students that I'm not testing for our courses. Uh, it is like going on a vacation and I put on some music. I was flipping through your book. I had all the ingredients for the, uh, for the rigatoni and it was just unbelievable. And I, I can't wait to make, uh, more of them. I, they all sound amazing. Now, you. Nisha, you said, and I, I have to ask you about this because social media is really the thorn on my side. I have really struggled to find a balance with it in trying to, because I really do want to spend most of my time creating recipes, filming our, our, our recipes, writing, and social media, it's just, ooh, it's it's been hard. But you have this incredible following. You've built this incredible community. How did you do that? And 
how do you find balance with your work and sharing your work? For me, my journey started with social media. As a stay-at-home mom, I wanted a way to reach the outside world, but still be at home for my kids. And so social media was sort of the natural thing for me to use. And, you know, I started on Instagram and honestly, the book wouldn't be here or, you know, I wouldn't have started a blog, which I have now if it weren't for Instagram. So as much as I don't like social media, I am grateful for social media because it it allowed for this journey to happen. And um, I think what I also like is that it's allowed me to meet a lot of like-minded people who do what I do and make friends. So it doesn't feel so lonely. It's wonderful. Uh, That is the best part of social media for me as well. I've met, met so many incredible people. Yes. And I've met them in real life. It's not, you know, some of them have lived, lived near me. So we're real friends now. And that's just huge, you know? Um, and so I also do enjoy that side of it somewhat. I do love making the videos and putting them out there in the reels. Um, and it sort of breaks things up, but I do feel like my time for actual cooking and experimenting and, you know, I don't get to make quite as many recipes as I'd like to make because I'm dividing my time so much. Mm-hmm. I probably am getting to a point where I should hire someone to help me because I know I could be tons more productive. Um, I also look after my three kids and do all the home stuff. So definitely um, I don't have like very planned out days as such. It's sort of like, oh, you know, I haven't posted a video in a while or I haven't um, written a blog post in a while. So it's it's really a bit sporadic. And, you know, I'm sort of waiting for one is going to college this year and I'm sort of just going with the flow. But I definitely think having more hands on deck would be a good thing at this point. Well, what have you found the most helpful when it comes to growing your account and and reaching more people? I think probably um, it's probably through Instagram. You know, it's it's. I think it's looking at uh, trends, mm-hmm. like seeing what the food trends are. So I may really want to get up one day and create, you know, a most comforting curry recipe. But you know, and there was a time for that. I feel now that's just not so much the trend. So it's looking to see what do people want. It's not. One thing I didn't realize, it's not about what I feel like creating as much as it is for what are people searching for. So my sort of view has really had to shift. Um, even when you write a blog post, it's not about my desires as much as it is what other people want and how can I fit those two together. Yeah, that's hugely helpful for, I'm sure many of our listeners are sort of dabbling in, in creating uh, an Instagram account with their food adventures. And I'm sure that's going to be incredibly helpful. It's helpful for me as well. Uh, so do you have any tips for anybody out there who is just has that dream of writing their own cookbook or starting their own food business? Any tips after having gone through the fire? Well, what I would say as a realist is the vegan food blogging world is very competitive at this point. Um, I think it's, you know, it's hard. But on the other hand, you don't need a lot to enter it anymore. You don't need a professional camera. You don't need to be a videographer, a professional. You don't, you know, you, you literally just need somewhere to cook in your house. So the barrier to entry actually is the lowest I think it's ever been. 
Um, but that means the competition is also the highest. So, you know, I think be patient, try different things. You know, one thing might not work. So instead of keep going with that one thing, you might want to try something new, try a different angle. And eventually you find sort of your thing, your way and your style. I love that. I love that about finding a style. I could definitely see. And and that's something I love about reading other cookbooks. I, I can really see sort of an invisible thread that joins all of the recipes together. And that kind of happens when you create recipes, you begin to see the style that each cook has. And I find you have a very cohesive style, but the recipes are incredible are incredibly original and different from each other. And that's very special. That's like really having your own style. Really admired that. Well, it's, an, it's flattering coming from you because you're an excellent cook. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, is there another cookbook in the future plans? Not right now. Okay. <laughs> it's a family affair writing a cookbook. You know? Yeah. And I'm sure it takes a long time. You have, I think, over 100 recipes or 100 recipes in the book. That's Mind like 140, maybe 130, something. It, it's incredible yeah. the amount of time people don't realize the amount of testing and time that takes. Uh, yeah, it really does. It's a two year process. Okay, so no cookbook, at least in the foreseeable future. What are an, any other business plans, cooking plans? What do you see in the next few years for you? Let me say I'd be open to a cookbook if I was approached with the, with the, you know an exciting opportunity. Um, for me, I think I am going with what I enjoy the most. It's sort of like, you know, a steady, slow and steady uh, race, I guess. It's not a race, but just taking things slowly and steadily and doing what I'm able to and not, I don't put too much on my plate because still I'm fortunate enough where my kids still um, are first, I can be put, you know, first in my house in terms of my time mm -hmm. spent because you know, three teenage girls, I, I'm nervous to not be there, <laughs> so, to say the least. Yeah. And my parents were never there. I, you know, I grew up alone in boarding school in England yeah. without parents. So I think that's why I'm more you know, focused on being around because before you know it, they're gone to college. But I also love what I do. And I, I'm excited every day to keep creating, posting blog posts, making videos, and sort of just take it as it comes. I love that. Nisha, I cannot thank you enough for spending your precious time with us. I know you have a very busy life and we're going to let you go. But before you leave us, please tell everybody where they can follow you, find you, where they can buy your book. Sure. So anywhere books are sold, it's called Practically Vegan. And the name is, one, the recipes are extremely practical Two, it's you don't have to be a vegan. You can be a practically vegan or whatever to enjoy it. I love that. I love that double meaning behind the name. And it's budget friendly, which is practical. So that's sort of where the name came from. It's on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, anywhere books are sold, Books a Million, Indie Bound, independent bookstores, Target, Walmart, you know, it's all over. And I'm at Instagram at Cooking for Peanuts. And I have a blog, which is cookingforpeanuts.com, where you can find all the printable recipes. That's wonderful, Nisha. I can't thank you enough for spending this time with us. And I can't wait to keep cooking some of your recipes. Thank you, Kim. Thanks so much for having me. 
Here are some takeaways from my conversation with Nisha. Sometimes there is a figure in our lives that just inspires us with their love of food, ingredients, and cooking. And even those little seeds planted so early on can influence us in ways we can't begin to imagine, which is why I always say, get your little ones in the kitchen. Show them what a pleasure it is to see ingredients transform into nourishment and enjoyment. Sometimes the road to our passions is a long and winding one, from pre-med to investment banking to teaching and finally to that very early love of cooking and that passion for nutrition and food. Eventually, if we are daring and brave enough, we get to the thing that truly lights up our life. And it is through that light that we inspire others. This was not included in our interview, but I feel I need to add it here. Do not judge yourself if, like Nisha and like me, it has taken some detours to get to where you were always meant to be. If you are not fully vegan but are curious and want to experiment with including more plant-based meals into your life, start with dinner. Start where you are. Keep some basic staples, some fruits and vegetables on hand to help them lead the way and inspire you. And know that you are welcome in vegan spaces too, that the options and recipes and Instagram accounts and cookbooks like Nisha's are there to help no matter where you are along this journey. For all you wonderful mamas out there, try to leave numbers out and add a little mix that includes some of their favorites in combination with new or challenging foods so that your little ones don't feel bombarded with newness and have a little food security blanket of sorts as they try to incorporate new foods. Have one or a few teens you'd like to see get more excited about cooking? Keep a stocked fridge and pantry with some basic prep done so that they feel like part of the work has been started for them so that they can start with cooking lesson number one, assembly, putting things together even before you learn how to cook something in a pan. If a friend like the great Jonathan Safran Foer makes you an irresistible promise, you rise to the occasion and write a beautiful and super comprehensive cookbook that will inspire and feed so many at-home cooks. Trying to grow a social media following or dreaming of writing a cookbook or starting a food business? Use social media as a form of connection and inspiration. Follow food trends and bring people what they want. The journey is very competitive in the vegan space and oh, how happy that makes me because it means we are growing in leaps and bounds when it comes to helping animals. But thanks to social media, the barrier to entry is the lowest it's ever been. So take it slow and steady, but step on out there and like Nisha, share your gifts with the world. And finally, you'd never guess it. But the combination of a spam-loving mom and a fruit-and-veg-loving dad who eats Jamaican bananas with the peel can be a wonderful, food-loving, vegan powerhouse of a woman who inspires hundreds of thousands. 
thank you so much to Nisha for being on the show and make sure to get her delicious book, Practically Vegan, follow her on social media and check out her blog. A huge thanks to our sponsor, Green and Experience, creators of their wonderful non-toxic and reusable hemp dryer balls. Links to everything is in our show notes. Now go cook up some delicious food. <laughs>